The Word of God is so amazing, and it promises us so much. Uh, one of my favorite passages of Scripture is found in the book of Psalms, Psalm 19, verse 7. It says, The testimony of the Lord, or the word of the Lord, is sure, making wise the simple. Uh, in the New Testament, you have that same theme about our need for wisdom. Be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. And my life often uh, gravitates toward being the simple-minded and not the wise one, and so I need God's wisdom. Many of you know that uh, this, uh, we had about 10 days of vacation for my family, and Alice and I had an opportunity to visit a lot of her relatives and, and with our family, our kids. Every one of them were able to go except for my daughter and her, her husband and uh, that little Jack of theirs. Uh, but he had a great time with extended family and, and seeing so many beautiful sights up the coast. Uh, but as, as we were going, it was interesting, uh, as, as you might know, uh, sometimes you're in a rush because you got so many places to go and so many people to see. And so we would, we would get up early in the morning and, and try to get out as quickly as possible. And I don't know about you, but I, I, like, to, I like to brush my teeth early in the morning. And so as I was preparing to uh, travel, and I don't know if you're like me again at all, but uh, it seems like I always forget something. Well, this particular trip, I forgot my toothpaste. I had my toothbrush, but not my toothpaste. And so I asked Alice, do you have any extra toothpaste? And the good news was she did. And so she gave me her extra toothpaste, and it was a, it was a small one, but it was full. And so I was fully expecting to use all the toothpaste on our trip. Uh, but I get somewhat in a rush at times, and I'm not always careful. And so I would dig in my uh, little bag that I carry all my stuff, and I, I would pull out another little orange uh, tube. And, and it was, you know, early in the morning, and I would take the cap off and put it on my toothpaste, and I'd start brushing away. And then immediately I'd discover, I, I think something's wrong. And then I looked at what I put on my toothpaste, and it was Banana Boat Ultra Sport SPF 30 clinically proven suntan lotion. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I began to realize that I need to be a little bit wiser than I am at times, and it can be as simple as this. You need to be careful before you brush your teeth, particularly about what you put on your toothbrush. Now, I wish I could tell you that I only did this once, uh, but I have to admit to you that I actually did it twice. In fact, not only twice, I, I did it three times on our trip. And then I finally discovered that one had a blue um, cap, and one had a white cap, and that could help me out. But the good news I can tell you, however, is that despite uh, at times where the rest of my body got sunburned a little bit, my teeth never got sunburned. Uh, so um, I guess you can pray for me that I'd be a little more careful. But as you think about what we're talking about today, in fact, what we talk every Lord's Day when we get uh, together to worship the living God is we want to hear from God. And how we hear from God is what's been written down for us to understand. And what I want you to, to just really, really be aware of is that God wants us to be wise by the things he has told us. But as you think about that, we better have a clear understanding of what this book is all about. And not only this entire book, uh, but the, the individual parts within it. We're in a section of, of Scripture in which is probably one of the more familiar passages, whether you remember where it's found or not, is it's the Ten Commandments. And, and the Ten Commandments were, were given uh, for His people. And as you think about that, what we need to understand, well, what was the purpose of the law that, that they, they received? And so I want to introduce our, our theme this morning as far as God speaking to us by just looking at what the law is in Scripture. 
And we're actually going to put it in two different categories. And if you're taking notes, I want you to fill in that first blank with the law in Scripture with lowercase l. And you're going to understand that purpose a little bit later. Uh, the law in Scripture. What, what is this book and what, is, what are the laws in it for? Uh, first of all, the, the law is a mirror. This book is a mirror. And as you look at a mirror, what's a mirror for? It's for you to be able to see what, uh, uh, what is true about the person looking into the mirror. And as we think about this, what this mirror is, and the mirror will show us what we are like, but I want to use it in a slightly different way. This, this book is a mirror for us to see who God is really like and who he really is. Or to put it very simply in a, in a simple statement, the Bible's a mirror and it reveals to us who God is. And that's done even with the specific laws in the, in the Old Testament. Uh, to give you an example of that, in Leviticus 19.2, which is uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, the third book in the Bible, it, it really gives a lot of the ceremonial parts of God's law, but it gives us the purpose of the law. And this is what it says in Leviticus 19.2. Speak to all the congregation, so he's speaking to all who were willing to hear and to listen, of the sons of Israel and say to them, you shall be holy. So it's used in the language of something we're supposed to do and to be. This is a commandment. This is not a suggestion for God's people. This is a call for God's people to follow after him in a very specific way. You shall be holy. And then it goes on for the reason. For the Lord God, the Lord your God is holy. And really what that speaks about, when we look into this book that has a lot of things to say to us, before we understand what it says to us, we need to understand who, who is saying it to us. And really, the purpose in the Old Testament and the New Testament is to bring us into a relationship with Him so we're drawn to be not only obedient to Him, but to become like Him. Why does God want us to be holy? And the word holy is set apart, to, to be different than anyone else that just does whatever they feel or think they ought to want to be about, but to be about their God who, who made Him in their image and as a plan for their life, you should be holy, set apart from the, the sins of this world, the evil that's in this world. Why? Because God is. And just to, just to remind you that this theme is repeated in the New Testament. First Peter chapter 1, it talks about well, you should be holy. And why? Because God is holy. The Bible tells us who God is like, and otherwise we would just be left to our own imagination. A memory verse for people in our church has been Exodus 34, 6. Then the Lord walked before him, this is Moses, and proclaimed, I, I want to tell you who I am. The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth. And I, I want a God who's holy, unlike the, the mishaps I am all about and the, not only the foolish things I do, but the, the sinful things I do. Uh, but I want to be a, know a God that is caring. And the Bible declares that he's compassionate and gracious, and he's slow to anger, and he's bounding in loving kindness and truth. That same passage, however, goes on and says, I want you to understand I'm a forgiving God, but I'm also a God who judges sin. So what is the Bible? The Bible and the law in Scripture is a mirror revealing to us who God is. But it's also much more than that as well. It's also a thermometer. And what is a thermometer? Well, in the, in the human realm, what is a thermometer? Is that which reveals what kind of temperature you have. But in the, in the Bible, what, what the Bible is, is it's a thermometer. It reveals to us uh, our sin. In uh, Romans 3.20, we have this passage. 
Because of the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. How do we know what is right and wrong? How do we know what is good and evil? And this, trust me, we all recognize, we live in a culture now that the whole, whole understanding of what is good and right has been changing radically. This book is all about that. In a very practical way, in Romans chapter 7, verses 7 through 8, it says this, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? It's always just telling me what I ought to be doing. May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. For I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, You shall not covet. But sin taking opportunity through the commandment produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. Which is simply saying this, apart from knowing what is wrong, uh, we would just be unaware of what is wrong. And we would just be doing our own thing all the time. But, but God has declared to us what is right and wrong for the purpose of understanding that this is his plan. And, and so what the scripture does, it shows us our need to change. That we can't keep living just however we feel like living if we're going to really understand God's plan for our life. So what the Bible does is it's, it's a mirror revealing who God is, and it's a thermometer. And I had this past week an opportunity to take someone to a doctor's appointment. And, and I had my mask on, but I was kind of unaware of the arena I was going into. And, and I got stopped immediately. And the reason I got stopped, because they wanted to take my, what? My temperature. The, the, they wanted to measure what was going on in my life. And, and that's what the Bible does. And let's be honest, it's humbling at times when we realize that the desires of our life are, are, are not good. And, and, and when we covet what someone else's have and to the point we might want to take what they have, and, and, and that's what's destructive in our lives and that person's life and a society's life. So what is the law in the Scripture? It is a mirror revealing who God is. It's a thermometer revealing our sin, the things that are wrong in our life. And aren't you glad you have people who will... Be honest enough with you on a personal level to tell you when something's wrong. And as we think about that as well, we need to understand that it goes on from there. And also, it is a tutor. And what is a tutor? A tutor is one who reveals to you what you need to understand. And what we desperately need to understand and what this book is all about is to reveal to us our need for a Savior, our need for Christ. In Galatians chapter 3, verses 24 through 26, it says this, Therefore the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ. And uh, I wonder if you can be honest enough to, to, to remember those days, and maybe we are still in those days where uh, there's something you desperately need to know and, and, and you can't figure it out, and you need to find someone who's going to instruct you, who's going to lead you into understanding what needs to be done and the next step to be taken. And that's what this book is. It's a book to, to drive us not just to understand what's wrong in our life, but how we can be made right. And that's driving us to, to God's provision. God's found in a person, Jesus Christ. Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ, so that we may be justified, declared righteous by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. As we've shared in this series, and we've been focusing on the Ten Commandments to begin with, but it doesn't stop there. There were all kinds of other commandments. But what was that given for 
in terms of purpose. It was to show uh, a nation, and not only a nation, but all peoples, that you can't fulfill God's law through your own efforts. You desperately need someone to cover your sin, to cover that which is measured up short according to God's standard, and that's what sin is. And so the Bible tells us the law was given to to be a tutor, to lead us to our, our need for Christ, for a Savior. So what, what, what is the law in Scripture? It's, it's, a, it's a mirror revealing God. It's a thermometer revealing our sin. It's a tutor leading us to Christ. And, and then fourthly, what it is, it is a teacher. And we could use a variety of other images other than a teacher. But what does a teacher do? A, a teacher tells us that which is true about something. And not only will that which is true, but, but what is the real purpose of what you're, what you're trying to study? And when you've got a math teacher, you want to make sure they're telling you the truth about mathematical principles. When people teach you history, you want them to understand the truth of what really happened in history. But really, the, the purpose of learning truth is so you might know what to do. And, and what, the, what the law in Christ is all about is to lead us to the, to the will of God. So we might know what God really wants us to do. It reveals God's will. Now, as we think about that, that's what all the Scripture is about. It's, it's a mirror. It's a thermometer. It's a tutor. It's a teacher. It reveals who God is. It reveals our own sin. It leads us and pushes us to our need for a Savior, to, to know the provision found in a person, which is Jesus Christ. And it, and it teaches us the will of God, the truth in the Word of God. But if, 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 if you look at the law representing all of God's Word, you, you, could, you could get confused for a moment. And I want you to understand that, that the Bible refers to the law not in a, just a formal sense, but in a broad sense. In Psalm 119, verses 105, it says this, the, law is the, the Word of God is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And, and in Psalm 118, Psalm 119, excuse me, it is the longest chapter in all the Bible. It's got 176 verses. And what it says throughout this entire psalm is, is just how awesome the Word of God is. But it uses synonyms to describe the Word of God. And, and it uses eight of them. And I've listed them in your notes. But if you were to use, what, what is the law? Well, the law, as portrayed in Psalm 119, uh, the law is the law, its testimonies, its ordinances, its precepts, its statutes, its commandments, its judgments, and it's the word. And, and so really what we need to understand, it, it encompasses the law in, in Scripture, all of what God has given to us to reveal who he is, who we are, what we need, and what is his will. It's the word, its statutes, its ordinances, its judgments, its, its testimonies, its precepts. It's the law. Well, that kind of read, leads to kind of a confusing thought. Well, if it's all of Scripture, what does it mean and what was it all about when, when Moses went on Mount Sinai and came down and gave his people the law? We need to understand that there's the law in Christ or in Scripture with a, with a lowercase l, but then there's an a uppercase or capital letter L uh, that Moses gave the people of God. And so this is what I want you to understand. There is the law in Scripture, and then there's the law, capital L, in Scripture. And what that is, it's a covenant. A covenant. And what is a covenant? A covenant is that which reveals God's formal, civil, ceremonial, moral regulations for his people. And particularly, it was the nation of Israel. Now, we look back and, and understand what he was doing with them uh, so that we can understand his character and his plan 
but it was, it was for a particular people for a particular time. It was the old covenant, and then a new covenant was written. And it is a law we learn from, but it was for a particular people. And the Bible is pretty clear on that as we understand it. In the New Testament, in Romans 6.14, it says this, For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, big L, but under grace. And as we think about it in Romans 7.6, it says this, But now we have been released from the law. And we're talking about big L there. God has commandments in the New Testament. Uh, we are under the law of liberty, the, the law of grace, and the, and the law of Christ. But we're not under the Mosaic law. We're not under the, law, the covenant of Sinai. Now, we learn from it uh, principles for life, uh, but we don't want to take uh, toothpaste out of suntan lotion and, and apply it in a wrong way in our life. It's supposed to go on the rest of my body, not on my teeth. But we do learn from it, and we learn the character of God and His plan for our life that is to be lived out by not our own efforts, but from the living one, Jesus Christ, who has invaded our life when we surrender our life to Him. So what I want to do today in the time I have left, I want to take the Ten Commandments, and I want to, I want to put it in a, in a way for us to reflect on it, to make it... Uh, applicable and life-changing in our life. I think we've often heard people say, uh, do you try to obey the, the Ten Commandments? And, and most people would respond back and say, well, yeah, I, I, I kind of try to follow them. And, and then the following question is, well, do you know them? And can you quote them? And the answer back usually is, uh, a few of them I can. Well, if we're going to take the the unit of the Ten Commandments, we're, we're going to need to know them and, and put them to, to memory or put them in our heart of hearts so that we can reflect on them. And I think a couple weeks ago, I challenged you to, to be thinking about possibly memorize these Ten Commandments and reflect about one of them a day to see how that applies to you. Because uh, the title of this message is, uh, are, are you talking to me? And I had that on my vacation. I was in a, on a in a conversation with a few people, and I think there were three or four at the table, and I was turning to someone, and I, and I was waxing eloquent. I was kind of saying all kinds of profound things, and after being talking for five or six minutes, uh, the person turned to me and said, oh, oh, are, are you talking to me? And the answer back is, well, apparently not, because you weren't listening to me. And probably I wasn't saying anything profound, but, you know, as we think about it, if, if we're going to turn a deaf ear to someone, it, it would be great to turn a deaf ear maybe to me or someone like me, but we don't want to turn a deaf ear to God. And, and when God gave the Ten Commandments to, to Moses to give to his people, you, you need to recognize when he gave them, he, he wasn't just speaking to a, a general group of people, the group. Because whenever we hear someone speak and maybe give uh, an exhortation or an application to people, sometimes we're, we're thinking about the person next to us or, or behind us or in front of us and say, well, that, that's really for them. It's, it's not for me. But, but, but God was very personal when he gave the Ten Commandments to Moses, to his people. In fact, uh, even the language there, it says, then God spoke all these words saying, these were words given to people. And he, and he puts it in a, a, not a plural sense grammatically, but a singular sense. He says, you shall 
And then he goes on and gives the description. So what I, what I want to do today, I, I want to quote the Ten Commandments. And even that, we're not quoting all the detail within it, but the, the main thought in the first part of the announcement of what God wants his people to do to live out now in the Spirit, not through their own efforts. And, and I want you to think about how personal that is uh, for every life that begins to say, I want to follow God in a way that he has clearly spoken uh, to us to live out if we know him and love him and want to follow him. So let's look at it, and I have, I have a list in your notes today, and this is taken from the New American Standard, and it's, as we look at these Ten Commandments, uh, nine of them are repeated in the New Testament, so they become the law of grace and the law of liberty or law of freedom and the law of Christ. Uh, but every one of them actually has an application for us as we think about living that out from the inside out. So what, what's, the, what's the first commandment? You shall, and I want to put it this way, it's God speaking to his people, but he's, he's like he's looking at each individual person as he speaks this out. Or maybe you've been in a situation where, where you think someone's in a, in a group meeting is only really speaking to you, or they're, they're giving you the, the eye, or then maybe you think they're, when they're pointing, they're only pointing at you. Well, uh, this is true in this text. He said, you, Mike, shall have no other gods before me. As we've done in the past, and I won't try to re-preach last uh, few weeks' sermons, but as you think about that, you can say it in the negative or you can say it in the positive. But you shall have no other gods before me. And that's, that's for me, Mike. So, so what does that mean? It means that, uh, that God is speaking to me. He said, well, do I just believe in God in a general way? Do I just believe in the man upstairs do I just believe in a, some kind of supreme being or like a deist in the past that somehow he started the clock and now it's just winding on its own and, and I, I, he's not a personal God? Uh, do I believe that God has fully revealed himself? And if he has, is, is it in the person of Jesus? Who, who do I really believe in? Mike, you, you shall have no other gods before me. Don't, don't lower me to all the other alternatives that are out there. If there is one God that, that I am compelled to discover and believe and follow the one and only true God. Mike, you shall have no other gods before me. And then he goes on, he says, you, Mike, shall... Not make for yourself an idol. And we talked about that. And again, I'll, I'll resist the temptation of re-preaching this, but it, it, an idol is anything that you, you, you manufacture is that which is most important in your life. And you can do it in the spiritual realm where you lower God to whatever you want to make him to be. Or as the New Testament teaches this, whenever you make something more important to you that you love more than anything else in life, that, that's your idol. And many people say they believe in God, but when you look at their life, it doesn't, it doesn't show in their life because they love so many things else in this world more than Him. And if the love of this world is more important than the love of God in your life, then you've made this world, the things in this world, or the people in this world, an idol. And Jesus has some powerful things to say about that, and we need to recognize it begins here. Who, who do we believe in? And who do we really love? We ought to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, all of our mind, and our strength. 
And then he goes on, this says, he says, like, I, want to, I want to get right down to where you live. I, you shall, Mike, not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And, and the word vain could be used a futile, in a futile way, or in, I think a more helpful way, in a false way. And, and what he's saying here is, is you live out, as you, as you take the name of, of Jesus in your life, you are a Christian, you are a Christian, are, are you living in such a way that you're giving me a bad rap? That, that, that people look at you and say, well, if that's what a Christian is, then uh, I don't want to have anything to do with that. Uh, and, and as we think about it, taking the name of the Lord your God, God in vain, you, you can do that in so many different ways. Anything that, that brings disrespect to who Jesus is. And, and often that happens within people who, who say they, they know Jesus, but um, they're not very forgiving, they're not very kind, they're not very caring, they're not very... Uh, sacrificial and giving of their resources to others. Uh, they're not people looking out the, in, for in, the interests of others more than themselves. And so as I look at that, you, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. It's not, not simply attaching a swear word to Jesus. It's, it's somehow giving a representation of who Jesus is by, by how I live in a way that doesn't honor him. And what I'm really challenging us all to do as we think about that, as we, as we think about putting the Ten Commandments into life, making it a lifestyle, not just something that we would know about, is how does that apply in my life? Because he's speaking to me. He's speaking to you. Do you know him? Do you love him? Are you living in such a way that honors him and, and represents him well? And, and, and then he goes on, and this is one of the commandments that, uh, in fact, the commandment that's not repeated in the New Testament. In fact, it, it has some very direct statements about that. But he goes, you shall remember to keep the Sabbath day and to keep it holy. Now, we are not under a specific law, a requirement to worship on a particular day, whether it be Saturday or Sunday. There's some practices that people have. But really the principle then and in Jesus' day and for now as well, is what was the point there? He says, I, I, this, this law, in fact, all the laws are really given for your good. This, these laws should not be seen as restrictive, but as laws that set you free, as, as principles for life, as we've talked about, that, that set you free, not put you under bondage. To, to keep the Sabbath day is that the word Sabbath means to cease working. It's, it's to bring you to that point in your life where you, you recognize there, there is a place for rest. And Jesus said, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. And so if you're overwhelmed by life right now, maybe, maybe you've been, you know, lighting the candle at both ends. Maybe you have been doing too much rather than too little. And there's a place for, for refreshment, for, for taking care of, of, of the things around you and, and being renewed. You, sh- you shall remember to keep the Sabbath day, to, to have a time of rest. But, but then he goes on and says to keep it holy. And I, I, I think the most practical application of that is you need to recognize that, that worship ought to be a priority. To keep it holy is that, that you have a time, not only that you are refreshed, but you, you recognize who is the refresher. That you come to that place where you understand that he is the one who, who gives us life, life full and abundant. Uh, but we need, to, we need to worship him to set that aside. There's so many practical challenges with that. Well, I hope you all realize that, is that we, we live in a day and age now where, where people 
when you ask them, do you go to church? And they say, yes. Do you go regularly? Yes. Well, how often do you go? And when they look at this statistically, it's about uh, 1.7 times a week. And one, excuse me, 1.7 times a month. Out of four Sundays, it's less than two. And quite frankly, now with things online, they're saying that percentage has even reduced even more. Initially, there was, a, there was great energy for wa- watching services online, and, and now they've said that's probably been reduced by 50%. And so what that gets to is, are you really keeping a Sabbath day? Are you keeping it holy? It is, is it a top priority? Is it something that you, that you do? Uh, you know, when you go on vacation, you don't go on vacation from God, but you say, look, I, I want to set aside a time to, to make sure he gets first place. And then it goes on in, in the commandments and it says, okay, you, Mike, shall honor your father and your mother. And, and that's one that uh, is right at the heart of how God has put life together. He's instituted um, the church, God's people. He's in, instituted the government that is to bring harmony and order in, in a society. But he's instituted the family. And, and it begins here is that we need to recognize that if you're going to learn to respect people of authority, they're not always going to be the best but if you're going to learn to respect authority, you need to respect authority in the home. And so you shall honor, you shall respect your father and your mother. That's one of the commandments that's put in the positive. But if you want to put it in the negative, you should, shall not disrespect your father and your mother. And then he rapid fires, goes and gives other commandments that are, that are one, sometimes we think, well, I haven't done that. But if you look at it a little more deeper, you recognize there is application for all of us. Again, as you think about the Ten Commandments, some have said this, have you, have you, have you tried to follow the Ten Commandments? And there's a response back to that. And then some people say, have you, do you keep most of the commandments? And he said, well, I think I keep most of them. But the reality is we all break every single one of them. And all you have to do is look at the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, you'll realize that as well. The, the next commandment is you shall not murder. And most of us think, though, well, I haven't done that. But if you, as you look at Jesus puts that together, he said, look, at, if you've been so angry at someone that you, that you yell at them that they're a worthless person, that, they're, that, that they are just... Uh, uh, unworthy to be breathing. You, you are so angry in your heart that if it was possible and you could get away with it, you just assume that they were not living and not in your presence at all, that, that you've really committed murder. And you've taken someone who has been created in God's image and one, a person that Jesus died for and you've reduced them to someone not important. Do we do that with people? Are there people, and all we have to look at our political world today, and that happens all the time. And, and trust me, that, that infiltrates God's people, as we are, we are so angry maybe with policies that we now apply that to people so, so quickly that we, we demean them. You shall not murder. And you shall not commit adultery. And that, that speaks again personally. And as I look at Mike, you shall not commit adultery. And even if I might not commit the physical act of, of having sexual union with someone who's not my wife or some kind of infidelity, we need to recognize that we, we, can, we can break this commandment in so many different ways. Jesus put it this way in the Sermon on the Mount, that, that you can do this with having lust in your heart for someone that's not uh, your spouse. But you can look at it anyways when we become unfaithful to the one that we have given our vows to. What, what we're seeing played out in our society is the, is the breaking down of the family. It can happen in the, not honoring your father and your mother, but, but it can happen when you realize that 
that uh, there's, there is no love with, between husband and wife. And, and whenever you now look at your life and say, you know, I'd be more happy if I wasn't married to this person, you, you need to recognize you're now close to breaking this commandment that breaks the heart of God and fractures our society. The, whether it's in the whatever race, uh, whatever color skin, whatever nation that you came from, if there isn't an intact father and mother in the home, the children are going to be effective in destructive ways. So here are the, the seven commandments we've looked at already, and I want to just in a few minutes look at the, the, the last three we haven't touched. As you think about God's commandments, he then goes on and says, you shall not steal. And again, you might be thinking, well, you know, I don't go in the store and take things, though, that are not my own or I haven't paid for, but, you know, we, we can steal in so many different ways. As we think about that now, one of the bigger things happening in our society is um, that which I was reading about and I've talked with some of in our church about is the, the, the major theft that is happening with, with um, uh, pirating software and theft of trade secrets. And some of our people are actually in that industry of helping people protect their intellectual property. And that is such a big thing in our society right now that one of the trade, one of the commissions I was reading about, the Commission of the Theft of American Intellectual Property, they came up with this statistic. They say it's between $225 billion and $600 billion a year that is, that is taken from our U.S. economy because people within the nation or outside our nation are taking that which is not theirs and using it for themselves. And if you take that over a three-year period of time, that's $1.2 trillion that are stolen by people who are able in creative ways to take that which other people have, have done. I was reading about this little boy who, who came from Sunday school. He, was, he came from church, and he was actually talking to God, which is what prayer is all about. He was praying to God, and he said, you know, in public school, we learned that Thomas, and Thomas Edison made light. But in Sunday school, we, we, we learned that you made light. I think Thomas Edison just stole your idea. You know, that's what's happening today. People take things maybe not in a physical way, but in a, in a virtual way that allows them to take what other people have done and, and use it for their own profit. But you can steal in so many different ways. You can steal by not giving what you should give. And I'm not talking about giving to the church or some charity at the moment. Uh, but what I'm talking about is, is, is being a generous person. Uh, God has called us to be people who, who understand that we are to work for what we get, and then when we work for what we get, we get it to the, for the purpose of helping others. In Ephesians chapter uh, 4, we have these words. He, he who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with one who has need. And so often we want the government to do that or some other people to do that. But God says, look, at it, it, if you don't understand what this is all about, you shall not steal, you should not take what is not yours. And, and many have written about this particular pastor. They say it's, it's, it's taking property that belongs to somebody else, anything that other, another person owns that you now want to take it as, as your own. But really it's, it's taking that which God has blessed us with and, and hoarding it for ourselves and not giving what we can to help the needs of others. 
But let's even get it more personal. In some ways, that could be as simple as giving your time. You know, we all have, we all have time, and are we, are we just hoard, hoarding it for ourselves, or are we investing in the lives of others? You shall not steal. And a positive way to, to say that is that you shall be a giver. But as we look at the last two really quickly, not only that should you not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Now, in the passage in Exodus chapter 20, uh, it, it goes on and, and talks about uh, you should not be a false witness in a variety of different um, areas of life. In particular, the next passage says, says that as well. But as, it, as you think about it, you shall not bear false witness, what is he saying? The simplest way, that you shall not lie. But if you want to say it in a positive way, you, you shall be truthful. In Ephesians 4.25, we have these words. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. And, and so as we think about our own lives, how, how, how do I speak to people, or can we be a little bit more personal about my own life, and maybe you can see application in your life, how do I speak about people? Because you can, you can not only tell a lie or speak lies about people, or, and you can maybe have fake news presenting information that's not true, but but you can, you can slander people by even telling people what is true, but they don't need to hear about it. To other, other people don't need, need to hear about what you've experienced with them. Whenever we give a witness that is destructive in somebody else's life, then we're bearing a witness, a false witness, that, that just destroys lives. Can you think of anybody just recently that maybe uh, you spread things about them some of them false, maybe some of them, maybe even some of them true that other people didn't need to hear. And, and you're talking about someone that, that God loves and you're destroying them. Wouldn't it be so much better that people who, who didn't give gossip that turned down, but we gave good gossip, sharing that which is positive about people and helping them to be seen well in the, in the, in the, in the lives of others. And then finally, you, you shall not covet. There, there are so many things in Scripture we could talk about that, and some have said about this, that it really is a summary passage of all these Ten Commandments because it's, it's taking your desires and applying them in ways that should not be pursued. In Exodus chapter 20, uh, verse uh, 17, it says this, uh, You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant, which would be like his employees, or, uh, or his ox or his donkey or like his cars. Uh, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. There are so many things in life, and it could be things that other people have, that, that so control us that we, we discover that our, that our joy in life is, is what we have and not who has us. It's in, in what we have and not who we have in our life. And, and we can be preoccupied, and it's not, it's not wrong to like what other people have, but it's that place in life where we, we feel that we need what other people have to be happy. You know, Jesus said that, you know, thief comes only to kill and destroy, but I've come to give you life and have it more abundantly. You might be full and meaningful. And, and coveting just destroys people. It's that inner desire, uh, that intent to have what others have that just destroys us because we are living like we can't be happy unless we have what someone else has and we don't. Ephesians 5.5 5 says this, For this we know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. 
So what's, what's, the, what's the alternative to being covetous, which is the idea of, of desiring something that you don't have and, and raising it to the level that you need it for, for joy? 1 Timothy 6.6 6 says this, but godliness is actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. God is, God is calling us to be content. Um, you know, Tim Keller, I was reading a quote by him just the past week, and he said this, I, I never realized, in fact, no one ever realized how much, how much Jesus is all they need until they realize Jesus is all they have. And if you were living in the Carolinas and your home was destroyed, if you were living or have family in Beirut and among the hundreds that were perished and their property destroyed, you'd be brought to that place in life. Well, where, where, does, where does life really begin? Is it, is it defined in, in what I have or, or who I have or who has me? For you see that what the Christian life is all about, and even the Ten Commandments mirror that, it's all about beginning at the beginning. It's, it's knowing who is the living God and having no other God before him and, and not reducing him to some kind of image or, or somehow living in a way that doesn't represent him well or somehow not putting a priority to living out that life in a day where you worship him. Or, or, or not even learning how to respect in the family, or coming to that place where you, you are murderous in the lives of others because you're, you're thinking about how, how you can give back, uh, take back what someone maybe t- took back from you and, and you're just so angry. Or, or maybe that came in that plight where the, the family is not that much, not important to you. Or you're just anxious to take what others have or not give them what they could have. And you're that kind of person that, that is always kind of fudging the truth or just destroying the truth. Or maybe you're just so filled with that inner desire that you, you want that which will not satisfy. The whole purpose of, of the law was giving to the point that we would know what's the next step and what are the steps God wants us to take. He wants us to take the true law, the, the law, the principles of life, and, and to think upon them and, and to hold on to them and, and then live them out. The so what this morning is simply this. God wants us, as we understand that he's speaking to us and he's given that law to us, that we ought to meditate on his law. We ought to memorize his law and make it a lifestyle for us to live. Take, take these Ten Commandments, not just post them on a refrigerator or, or realize they're in the Bible, but commit them to memory and look at the application and the, and the way that God wants you to live out. Joshua said this as they went into the promised land. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you'll make your way prosperous, and then you'll have success. And in that, he also said this, and you will meditate on it day and night. So take it with you wherever you go. Put it to memory and to heart. Think about its application. Meditate on it. And then make it a goal to make it a lifestyle to live out. Let's pray together. Our Father, as we think about the law, the precepts, the ordinances, the judgments, the truths, the commandments, the words that are in this book, it's for us to know who you are and then live like you want us to live. And we can only do that through a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to trust in him fully and faithfully and help us to live out this life in ways that show that we know you and love you and want to follow you and show this to others. And we praise in Jesus' name.
Amen.